My name's Sean. I'm a pastoral resident here, and I know you guys have already heard it a couple times, but happy Mother's Day again. Um, my story's kind of cool with, with moms. I didn't get to tell this in the first service, but just because my mom for a while was in, in prison, I had kind of different women step up and, um, and kind of be a mom to me for huge periods of time when I got to live with another family or just when I first got discipled. The guy who was discipling me, his wife really took me under his wing. My, my wife's mom has over and over been there for us. So um, happy Mother's Day to, to all you guys out there. Um, if you haven't already had your pictures taken or you didn't know, on the west side of the building, I don't actually know if it's still set up, but you can get your picture taken after service um, free. Just put in your email and send it over to you. So picture with you and your kids or if your mom's here and you guys are going to brunch or whatever it is. Um, the other things too is, is there's some Frappuccinos in the back if you didn't see them. Those are for all the ladies in there and all the selfish guys who probably stole one anyway. Um, and so um, that's cool, right? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, happy Mother's Day again. If, if you are new and, and you don't know a lot about redemption, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we have been going through the book of Romans for well over a year now, and we've kind of taken inadvertent breaks between there. And we are in one of those breaks now, talking about, as you can see on the screen, pictures of the kingdom. Uh, we decided to kind of take a break from Romans there, and we're going to go through um, Matthew 13 and talk about the parables of the kingdom of God, what Jesus is talking about, what's kind of being thrown out there. Now, that's really, really intentional. Um, and I want to say this before I get going. You, as, I don't know how many of you guys have done public speaking before, but you, you never want to be the guy who gets up and looks like an idiot, okay? Uh, and first service, I got up and I went through the whole thing, and I felt like I said a lot of, you know, controversial things and, and weird things because of the nature of what we're going to talk about this morning tends to be very aggressive in the, thought, in the theology of redemption. And what I mean by that is a lot of us grew up in a much different tradition than what I'm going to try to put before you today. And so it might be a little abrasive, um, which my personality isn't like that at all, um, but, but it might be a little, little forward, and, and, and you might say like, whoa, a lot of the things you're saying it seems to be difficult to digest. And, and I want to say like that is intentional, um, but we believe it's biblical. So, so I would say to you just, man, hear what, what the word of God has to say this morning. And, um, and, and I hope that, that the Holy Spirit would do something um, amidst our congregation and redemption as a whole. So here's the deal. Uh, our, our passage in Matthew 13, I'm not going to get to for like 25 minutes. And it's not because I'm doing pre-points and setting all these things up. I think there's a lot of things that we need to do before, uh, before we ever have to get there. And so a big part of what that looks like is, Here's the two things I really want to give you handlebars to grab onto. The first thing is this. Before you leave today, um, no, no, here, we're right, right here, right here, okay? Um, before you leave today, before you leave today, um, I, I really want you to know what the kingdom of God is, okay? Now, you may think, like, I've heard, like, there's this kind of, it's ethereal, no, Walking out of here, here is what the kingdom of God is. And then when we hit our passage running in Matthew 13, it's important that you know, what do we need to know about that kingdom? So if I was to say, I'm taking like a basketball. But say, here's a basketball. It's round, it's this rubber thing, it bounces, cool, okay? Um, and then you would say like, well, what do I need to know about that basketball? Well, uh, you play with it, five guys on each team, it goes into a hoop, you can pass it, you can dribble it, whatever it is. There's, there's knowing what a basketball is, and then there's things that we need to know about basketball and, and what it does. And I think that's what the passage does for us. Um, but I want to spend a huge portion of our time together just talking about trying for us to square away what on earth the kingdom of God is. Because Frank has done a great job of talking about it in two weeks. And I just want to ball all that up and say, here's what it is. And that's the part that's going to tend to push against a lot of um, our upbringings in church, okay? Um, and I'm going to say this about this. Outside of coming to know Jesus Christ, this is the greatest truth within the confines of the gospel that I've ever come to know. 
So um, just hear what it is, and, and, and here's where we'll start. I know that we have a, a, an eclectic group. Um, some of you guys were born in church. Uh, you have names like Jeroboam Rahim of Judah. Um, and some of you guys have names like Miley or Cyrus or something, and there's this big difference and people who are sitting here uh, today. And so because of that, um, I, wanna, I don't want to patronize anyone, but I want to lay fra- foundational work and groundwork that maybe a lot of you know, but not everyone does, okay? And so he- here's where I'm going to start. A lot of the times, if as a Christian, if you're not a Christian in here, um, maybe you've done this, but as Christians, when we talk to somebody, we ask them to read their Bible, and immediately the first thing they do, if we don't give them uh, you know, some, some type of handlebars to grab onto, like read John or 1 John or Ephesians or whatever it is, they'll usually just pick up the Bible and just start from the beginning, which is always kind of a a hilarious moment because you know you'll get through Genesis and about halfway through Exodus and then I'm wondering like what are you doing like what like you just wonder like they're reading Leviticus and I'm thinking what are they thinking right now um because it just gets real weighty okay but the truth is when they pick up Genesis and they read it something we all know whether you know a church background or not there's this great narrative of God the Father the Spirit and the Son creating the world and here's what I want to point out about this. So from the very beginning, here is God. He, he forms land masses. He, he separates the waters. He creates sky. He puts the land there, and it's, it's good. And he looks down, he says, this is a good thing. And then he has uh, plants grow up on that land mass. Eventually, he has animals and crawly things and fish in the sea and buffalo and livestock and lions. And then everything he's looking down, and, and it's really important because in day five, when he cre- or day six, when he creates man, before that, he is looking at every single day, so day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, before he gets to day six, he looks down on his creation and he makes a declaration, an affirmative fact that he declares over all creation. He, God, sovereign over all things, all wisdom found within him, looks down on his creation and says, this is good. Before man was created, he looks down on creation and says, this is good. The plants that are created, good. The animals that are created, good. This is a good thing. So so we're even told that in Psalm 19 that the skies display his his craftsmanship, that they're preaching his name day after day. They're making it known without a sound or word. Isaiah 6, 3 actually tells us that the earth is filled with his glory. That at the very genesis, no, no pun intended, but literally at the beginning of everything, when God creates all these things inherently, they have been created good. This is, this, is, this is the game changer. If you can understand what Genesis is trying to communicate when it makes that statement, it changes the way we react to everything else. So, so hear me when I say this, because this is one of those statements I made in first service that I know we're going to get emails about and, and I'm going to get in trouble with, but I want to kind of say it again, but maybe not as strongly. Hear me. Marijuana, okay, God made. Okay? Okay? Now like, not a lot of laughter, no amens, okay? If we were at Hippie Fest, we'd get amens, but no, okay? Like, but God made it. At its core, it's good. Because I've heard other people like, no, that's the devil's plant. The devil didn't make plants, bro. Like, what are you talking about? God made all things, and he made them all good. Now, the trick in that, there is a distortion, which we'll get to in a minute. But before we get anywhere, he made all things good. So when we look across the world we live in, at its very core, the way it was created was good. This is so important. Uh, A book called Drama of Scripture, Mike Goheen, a big shaper in the theology in which redemption is going, um, says a great statement in his book, Drama of Scripture. This is what he says. The Bible depicts 
uh, this created material world as the very theater of God's glory, the kingdom over which he reigns. These early chapters of Genesis are very positive about the world. Though it is created, it is always described as good. Through Genesis 1, the repetition of the word good is a reminder that the whole creation comes from God and that in its initial state, it's, uh, it beautifully reflects his own design and plan for it. It's a marvelous harmony of created things. Like an orchestra, it produces a symphony of praise to the creator. That God makes these things good. Okay, so, so we're this, here, here's the trick, right? Because the next day on day six, God makes man. Man opens the door for, for the, the enemy to come in. And, and now, suddenly, sin enters. And a lot of theologians use um, war language when it comes to this. Like there's this kingdom. Here's God's kingdom. And a, a foreign foe enters into that kingdom and tries to conquer it. And so now suddenly, this is the trick, because as we hit Genesis 3, suddenly everything that is created good, God looks at the landmass, good, the animals, good, he suddenly is looking at the serpent and he makes a crazy statement, doesn't he? He says, serpent, you are cursed, what's he say? Above all livestock. So all livestock suddenly is cursed, the serpent just cursed more than him, all livestock is cursed, and then he says the very ground you're standing on is cursed. But two chapters earlier, it's what? Good. So, so this is the tension. I need you to wrestle with this. Even in this moment, I know it's difficult. God makes this thing very good, but sin comes onto the scene and distorts it. So marijuana being created for a good purpose in which God created it for, to bring him glory, now becomes distorted. That man takes that and now distorts it in such a way for his own gain. And now all things that were made to bring him glory suddenly are mixed in with sin. And like a, a broken mirror, we see reflections of God's goodness, but we see that it's broken. Like you track it with me on that. This is really big because he even tells the parable last week. He says that the wheat is growing together with the weeds. That we can look at the world around us and we can see that there's brokenness, but there's good things in there. Let me, let me give another controversial one that I didn't do in first service. So these are great. Lots of emails coming. Okay, the, 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 here's another one. Tattoos, okay? So we can, look at, we can look at tattoos and we can say, you know, we can quote Leviticus all we want, but instead of appreciating the deep art um, that is in tattoos, appreciating the ingenuity in which it takes to, to put ink into the pigment of our skin, appreciating these things and saying, there's goodness in that. Like God created the beauty of that. We say, no, evil, wrong. And we say, wait a minute, like who created art? Who made this? God made art. And so we can see there's darkness, motivation behind some tattoos are evil. There is bad there. But mixed together at its core, God says, this is a good, godly, God-honoring, giving glory to me thing. At its core, it is good, but it is broken. This, this, this is a game changer for us, right? Because from that moment on, um, God um, declares and for Adam and Eve in that moment, that he's going to restore his kingdom. He gives the theological term as the proto-euangelion, the first gospel. He declares that one day someone is going to come and crush the serpent. His kingdom will reign. And it goes on and on because he tells Abraham this, Isaac this, all the patriarchs this. He tells Moses he's going to establish it. Joshua he's going to establish it. On to David, all the prophets talk about a day of the Lord. It's coming. It's coming. He's going to restore his kingdom. That day is coming. Enter this man from Nazarene, Jesus Christ. And he comes on the scene and Jesus makes a phenomenal statement in Mark chapter one, verse 15. He says, the time 
is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here or at hand. Okay, this is bonkers. Because what he says in this moment is everything the prophets have been talking about, that God is going to restore his kingdom. He's going to make it like it was. He's going to restore his kingdom. God is is going to be king over it. Jesus says, that time is now. I am a fulfillment. Matter of fact, the Pharisees ask him in Luke 17, hey, when are you going to restore this? When is the kingdom of God going to come? When are you going to do that? And he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst right now. This, this, is a, this is a weird thing. So Jesus, and, and you have to understand, here are the Jews, the, the, the people of God, they're expecting the kingdom to come in like a political extravaganza, this somehow like takeover of everything. So we would look at things and like, yeah, the kingdom of God is like geographical territory to conquer. And that's not what he says. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, it is kind of crazy what he says. It's, uh, last summer, um, uh, myself and, and some, some friends, we went to um, California, Doheny Beach, and we stayed on the beach there for a couple days. One of the days we got on in these Surrey bikes, these like multiple person bikes, you know, and we biked over to this place because we heard um, that there was this place called Baby Beach. And we were like, oh, it's going to be kind of fine sand and, and it's going to be nice. And we get there and it's not Baby Beach because it's fine sand and it's like, you can act like, it. no, it's made for babies, okay? Well, here are 12 or 14 grown-ups hanging out with all these kids um, at Baby Beach. Now, unfortunately, that day, there was a school that brought a field trip of busloads of kids, um, five, six, seven, eight years old, now are running around, and we wanted to have a picnic on this this beach area, but here are 12 adults sitting at Baby Beach, which is for babies, by the way, um, with all these kids running around us, and people are looking at us like, "What what are you doing here, right? Well, it gets worse because we wanted to have this picnic, so we brought watermelon and oranges and peanut butter and jelly, but we didn't bring utensils, and we have no knife to cut the watermelon. So now, 12 grown-ups are sitting at Baby Beach, which is made for babies, with a bunch of kids running around, walking around asking people if they have a knife we could use, okay? (laughs) Hey, you got a knife? No, no, I don't. And if I did, I wouldn't give it to this group of grown-ups hanging around a bunch of kids, okay? So in this moment, I, I, you look silly sometimes in your life, but I really thought to myself as I look at people like, do you have a knife? Do you have a knife? I'm like, we seriously look crazy right now. Like there's a, and I have to like, now I don't know how much Jesus was asking for knives at Baby Beach, but he looks crazy. I mean, for the Jews, they're like, what are you talking about? There's this kind of disconnect. How is this in any way? And Jesus comes on the scene and he declares what the kingdom of God is. And here's what's awesome about this. When he's declaring what the kingdom of God is, he's, he mentions and talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else. So it's important. Like he actually uses that term kingdom of God over 80 times. He refers to the kingdom of God in general over 100 times. There's not even 100 chapters in the four gospels together. So if you were to average it out, he literally talks about the kingdom of God every single chapter. This is a big deal. What is Jesus trying to get at? And over and over, this is what he's communicating. I am here. I'm a fulfillment of the kingdom of God. I am in this moment, as John 1 would say, that he, he, uh, in him is life, and the life is the light of men, and in shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. The verb word that we need to look there is shines. The gospel of John is written after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how could the, the light within Jesus still be shining? You, you, because it's gone forth as Jesus within us, and he's saying the kingdom of God is within you, and here's his declaration. So here's the kingdom of God, if I can put it before you. The kingdom of God for us to pray for, that Jesus manifested as he cast out demons, that Jesus did over and over as he fed the masses. The kingdom of God 
is for us, children of light, taking the things that were before that are distorted, extracting the sin from them, and, and making them the way they were supposed to be. I hope I didn't, so, so let me say it like this. Um, because of this theology, we get to ask a, a really fun question, and, and this is the question that we get to ask. Um, what if there was no sin in the Garden of Eden? I mean, no one in here, I, I don't think, would, would leave here and say, you're going to go to your house, and your house is, is sinful, or your cars are sinful, or the food you eat is sinful, or the technology, your iPad, the phones you have in your pocket or are looking at right now is sinful. You wouldn't say that's sinful, would you? No. And it's crazy because we wouldn't say that at the same time we're told in Revelations that in the very end that, that uh, the, the city Jerusalem, that heaven is going to come onto the earth. So what does music look like in the Garden of Eden is have the sons of Abimelech, they, they make musical instruments and they work with steel. So, so if there was no sin, and I don't know if the Adam and Eve had the wheel or not or what takes place, but as they begin to grow and as a society, that small garden grows into a town, which grows into a city, which eventually grows into skyscrapers, which we have technology. Are we watching movies? Are we listening to music? What does this look like? We get to ask the question, what does the music industry look like without sin? We get to ask him, what is the movie, what does sex look like without sin? Like, you know he made it, right? Like, he was the creator of sex. Like, the swelling of the glands that take place where they do, that was his idea, okay? So everything that comes about for us to say God's a downer, listen, God made the very thing you're overindulging in. He created that. That was his idea. He's the, like, he puts before us, and, and a guy named John Piper would call it ultimate, the ultimate hedonism. Like to find pleasure in God to bring glory to him, that's the ultimate fulfillment of all of our desires. And so him making all these things, we get to ask the question, what does it look like without sin? And whatever that answer is, is the kingdom of God coming to earth? Let me say it like this. Uh, a book, um, a guy by the name of Al Walters, he's a Canadian theologian. He wrote a book called Creation Regained, and I think it's a phenomenal book if you're interested in and uh, uh, some of the stuff that I'm, I'm talking about this morning are just the kingdom of God in general. This is a great book to read. It's called Creation Regained by Al Walters. Um, this is what he says when he talks about the practical implications of what I'm trying to put before us right now. He says this, the practical implications are legion. Marriage should not be avoided by Christians, but sanctified. Emotions should not be rep repressed, but purified. Sexuality is not simply to be shunned, but redeemed. Politics should not be declared off limits, but reformed. Art ought not to be pronounced worldly, but claimed for Christ. Business must no longer be relegated to the secular world, but must be made to conform again to God-honoring standards. Every sector of human life yields such examples. Grace restores nature, making it whole once again. That is the kingdom of God that here in this moment, we, we've trumpeted the gospel to, hey, brother, are you a sinner? Well, you've admitted you're a liar. By a lying thief, you admit that you're a sinner and you're gonna go to hell without God's grace. And we share the gospel and now they're saved. And it's a truncated gospel kind of wrapped up in a potent idea, but have no idea of the repercussions that the world around us, God is restoring. Colossians 1.21 tells us that he's reconciling all things to himself by the blood of his cross. Mark 16 tells us to preach the gospel to creation. What do we do with this? For us to look at the world around us and say, bad, good, bad, good, evil, good, is not biblical. For us to look across the board and say, these are things that have been tainted by sin. 
and I can abstract and I can do this in a God-honoring way and restore his kingdom onto the earth. That is the kingdom of God. That is what we have been called to. That is the beauty of the Christian life that we walk in. It's awesome. But, but we've kind of been raised, right, in the, this, this secular, you know, sacred divide, and, and it kind of swings us. This is this, is this and this is that. But that's, that's not what, the, clearly, I mean, if you just go and look at all the references for the kingdom of God, that's not what Jesus talks about when he talks about the kingdom of God. I mean, he doesn't make it ethereal, but it's way more physical than that. And yet, it's, it's not just some, like, region to conquer, but it's way more spiritual. It's as if we're, we're, we're taking what, what God is doing in the physical and making it spiritual again. The best example I can give for us to, to kind of grab handlebars to, to understand what, I, what I'm trying to get at, the example, the perfect example I believe is food. Um, because um, we have to believe that God in his beauty and awesomeness made the avocado, okay? Like he, 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 you know he made the avocado, right? That wasn't like a genetically modified thing. Like God made the avocado. And he knew when you would take the avocado and you would smush it up and maybe add a little cumin or salt and maybe lemon, I don't know, and you, you mix it up and then you take this corn and you make it kind of into a flour-like thing and you, you mix it and then you, you get to put it together and then you roll it out and you bake it and you, let's just say you cut it into a triangle, we'll call it a chip, okay? And you take this, this new chip thing and you dip it into this avocado paste, we'll call it guacamole, okay? And you dip it in and you eat it and suddenly... Wow. Like, last night, <laughs> I really like avocado, um, and I really like guacamole. Last night, we went to Oregano's with a group of friends, and the table behind us was kind of like running out of their cheese crisp with a guacamole dip, and so I was just like, okay. So I went over there, and I ate the rest of their guacamole so it wouldn't go bad. Um, yeah, I'm not letting guacamole go bad. That's a gift from God to me, okay? <laughs> and, and the beauty is, what we do is, is we get to look at this and say, how can I reconcile this back to God to give him glory instead of letting it be an end of in itself? Instead of hoarding down food, just taking it, here it is, it's mine, I'm going to do it. It's a comfort to us, it's a medication to us, and we don't in, in any way recognize that, that God gave the water to, to make that plant grow. Like, or, or maybe you don't eat vegetables at all. Terrible idea, but maybe, okay, he gave the cow to grow, to create the milk, eventually to create that cheese to put on your pizza. That was his idea, and you have to believe, if you believe he's sovereign, right? Check this out. If you believe he's sovereign, that God growing an avocado with the rain that needed to take place and nourishment in the soil, this avocado grows, he sovereignly knows where that avocado is going to end up. So he had to know that avocado was going to end up in this paste-like guacamole thing, one table over, and this is a gift for Sean, okay? Yes. Yes, it is, and I will enjoy it, Okay. This, in his sovereignty here, he puts this before us and says, these are good things. Stop taking this good thing and making it an end because it's not an end. Avocados, food, sex, music, movies, our jobs are means to an end and that end is to bring him glory. That you want to find joy in those things, then, then do it in the way in which God created it to be done. Because that will give you the fulfillment of joy you're looking for. Instead of going around the coldest stack of stupidity thinking, this will bring me joy. This will bring me joy. No, it's not ever going to bring you joy because it's a false idol. It's lying to you. More food. More food. More food. Maybe I didn't have it, but now it'll make me. No, maybe it didn't make Okay, more sex. More sex. Maybe it didn't make me. No, listen. In the end, that's not the purpose of it. It was created good by a creator to bring him glory. 
And the world we look at around us, that's not the case. And as Christians, we've been called to see what that looks like and restore his kingdom on the earth. Um, First Timothy makes a great point on the food thing. And this is what he says in verse three, chapter four. He said, foods that created to be were created uh, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So there's, there's a little line in there, by those who believe and know the truth is the difference. So here is how Jesus brings the kingdom onto the earth. The world that is, it is before Jesus is broken, distraught. No one knows what's going to type, take place and how it happens. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, in me, the kingdom of God is fulfilled. It's fulfilled. And he gives us this to reconcile as he's bringing his kingdom onto the earth. And he says, food, now who are children of light, who know the truth, can now look at food and say, it's to be received with thanksgiving. I should be thankful for the food that, that's been given to me. But it's kind of been turned into like this legalistic thing, right? Like, let's pray for our food. God, thanks for the food. To be, but to truly like have that posture. Like, you know he made hops, right? He created those things. So, so instead of taking beer and hoarding it for ourselves and drinking more than we need to, we as Christians get to look at that and say, this is a God-honoring act here. I can look at beer, I can look up crushed grapes, juice that are fermented. He made all these things and I can enjoy them. For his glory, that is reconciling the kingdom of God back to him. That is what he is doing. And we have the awesome opportunity to walk alongside him as he does it, as children of light, discerning what is good and pleasing to him. That's the kingdom of God. Everywhere that brings glory to God, that is restoring the things that are broken, that's the kingdom of God. And that's what we're praying for. That's what he tells his disciples to pray for. May the kingdom of God come onto the earth. And this is tough, but it's, 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 it's kind of great, right? Because it, what it does is it takes the CEO of the Fortune 500 company and the man who washes cars for minimum wage and it puts them on the same plane, doesn't it? I mean, because the man who, who is the CEO of the Fortune 500 company, in that moment, he can recognize, I'm not doing this job for the money. I'm doing this because I can look at my job now and ask the question, what would this job look like if there was no sin? If sin is eradicated in the name of Jesus Christ in this vocation, how can I do it? I'm bringing glory to God about it. And it's no different that what you do at your job, with your family, with your friends, how you eat, how you drink, has eternal weight, that his kingdom is coming onto the earth. And it's awesome. And, and, and at the same time, kind of frustrating, right? Like he, he recognizes um, that there's gonna be times where we look around and we say, that's just not the case, Jesus. And he's not preaching a utopia that everything is getting better because he gives us the parable. Clearly, it's just funny. He's telling his disciples in this moment two weeks ago, he tells his disciples, hey, there's gonna be four types of seeds that fall and only one of those seeds is gonna make it. So if we were just to do some, some uh, math real quick, one out of every four things that we can look around and say, this is reconciled, this is a kingdom of God coming to the earth. And then he says, but it also gets worse because as the goodness and the kingdom of God grows and, and it is getting better, at the same time, the kingdom of darkness is, is, is growing and, and meshing in between. And in the end, it is God who separates these things. This, this is a tough tension for us to live in. I mean, it's, it's hard. And because of that, I, I think it's, it's perfect for us to look at as we go into our passage, the man who's saying these things. You know, a couple weeks ago, this is mind-boggling. A couple weeks ago, over one-third of the population of the earth gathered into a church, a house on a mountainside in a field to celebrate. Over two billion people 
gathered all over the world to celebrate this poor carpenter who did ministry for three years. He didn't write a book while he was on the earth. He didn't record his, his sermons through audio. And yet we, we base our, our, literally base our calendar off of him. And it's not the idea of BC before Christ and after death. It's Latin terms, meaning literally in the year of our Lord. Like we, we are 2014 by which they determined that date to take place. This guy who you may have heard the name Nero and in his time he was like Obama. You only know that name. He is a footnote, a footnote in the birth of a carpenter. What in the Gehenna is going on when a carpenter, his name, his renown can come to be two billion people one Sunday for Easter? It grew from something so small. And as he tells him, listen, I know that one seed's going to plant. I know it looks evil, but I promise you, I promise you it's growing. And this is what he tells us in this parable. So with all that being said, um, a shorter time, than I would like, but this is for us to understand that is what the kingdom of God is. Now, what do we need to understand about the kingdom of God? What do we need to know about the kingdom of God? This is the, this is the, the, the great part in our passage. He, he, uh, he puts another parable before them in, in verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Um, there was a great movie that just came out, um, super accurate. It was with Russell Crowe and it was Noah. It was this movie called Noah. And, um, and um, somewhere in the movie, the Noah, somewhere between the rock monsters, um, someone sneaking onto the boat and Noah going, Jack Nicholson from The Shining, trying to kill his whole family. Um, somewhere in there, um, Noah is given this seed from his father Methuselah um, to, to plant in, and it's a seed from the Garden of Eden. And I don't know how intentional this was, but um, I think it's a perfect picture for us to see what's taking place in this, in this parable because it's literally the seed from the Garden of Eden, and it's this great picture of the Garden of Eden being restored. Like what, what and, and so all of a sudden this, it's burst forth water, and then water's trickling down, and plant life is growing, and then the forests are growing, and it's big, and it's awesome. And I think it's a great picture as Jesus puts this parable before us um, that it starts off small, but it grows insanely big. And as much as I want to like exegete this passage, I want to derive some things that we can take with us in understanding the kingdom of God, because it's pretty obvious what it's saying, that the kingdom of God starts small, but don't trip, man. In the end, God makes it big. His kingdom comes. It's as big, like a seed, this tiny mustard seed is as, is as big as a bush or a tree, 10 or 12 feet high where all the birds of the air make their nests in it. They make their home in it. And, and this is really important because when we talk about the kingdom of God coming on the earth um, and we talk about our jobs, we feel like it's underrated. It's, it's underestimated. Like I'm not making a difference, don't it? Like it honestly thinks, when we think about like reconciling alcohol, what difference are you possibly making when you, when you stop and you know you've had enough and, and you don't take it to a place you don't need to? Like, honestly, what difference are you possibly making? It, it feels small. It feels insignificant. It feels like, like a mustard seed. It feels like it's, it's, it's not going anywhere. And this is Jesus putting him before it. This is the kingdom of God, and it's, and it's growing. And, and, and what's crazy is if you've ever had kids, um, you know what this looks like. You can't see it. Um, 
or you've even been around kids for a long time. You know, our daughter Eve is 14 months, and she's walking around last night, and I'm just looking at her, and I remember, I remember when, when I, like, we were coming home from the hospital. It was like days ago. And then right beyond her are my six-year-old and four-year-old boys. They're playing on an iPad. Like, Corbin has to show me how to do stuff sometimes on the iPad. He's six. And, like, here's this, and I remember, like, I wiped your butts, bro. Like, any moment you get arrogant, that's, like, game over. You know what I mean? Like, you're sleeping outside. That has nothing to do with anything. I said I would punish my children. But, like, he, but, but my point is he's growing. And, and, and it didn't happen, like, a week ago. I didn't wake up on Saturday and say, oh, that's Corbin's size. And then woke up on Sunday and then thought, oh, my goodness, you're six. No, like gradually, slowly but surely, all of a sudden he's, and I couldn't even see it. And, and I think it's important that we remember that that's kingdom growth. That's the way God has designed things to take place, that it's not overnight. And that as we look at our jobs and we think, honestly, how could I possibly make a difference in this industry at, with the people I work with? How? Well, it's slow. It's like a mustard seed. And it's important. And it's a big deal. And as Christians, we've been called to reconcile, help Jesus come alongside Jesus to reconcile the world back to himself. It's such an awesome opportunity that we get to do this. And what I think is beautiful in the midst of this is the next section when he talks about um, it's also like a woman who takes this one measure of leaven and she mixes it in with three um, uh, measures of uh, flour. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a bob and weave way of Jesus kind of saying, hey, remember those four seeds that there was only one seed that makes it and three seeds that don't? But in this moment, there's one, one uh, measure of leaven and three measures of flour, and yet what ends up taking over? The leaven. It mixes into the whole lump and it grows. And I also don't know if it's, it's, it's just a sheer a shot of coincidence, but what's crazy in the midst of all this, going back to the very beginning of our story, when God makes all things new, he curses the ground. Doesn't he? So, so when he curses the ground, when he comes in later, Jesus comes on the scene, all the parables he tells are agricultural, as if to say the kingdom of God is coming out from amidst the curse. I mean, it's, it's this bob and weave way for Jesus to say, look, it's not easy, but hidden there, you don't feel like you're doing anything. It's growing, and it's growing, and it's awesome, and it's beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing for, for us to recognize. Um, and, and I think as we, we look at this parable, um, I, I want to, as we kind of close this thing down, I want to kind of encourage you because I think there's a tendency for us to, to hear this and look at the world around us and get lost in it because we look at ourselves and we say, yeah, but I can't even get my, myself right. And I would just encourage you with this. Colossians 1 verse 6 says that the kingdom of God is going to all the earth. The gospel is moving forward into all the earth and bearing fruit. And it makes a great statement, just as it is in you. So, so he would literally say as the gospel starts in this little Middle Eastern town and it grows into to Rome, into Europe, and it spreads east and west and it's growing and it's, it's conquering geographical territory as the gospel grows and spreads and spreads and spreads. It says that's happening just as it is in you that the kingdom of God is growing, that the gospel is growing, and there are some days where I don't feel like reading my Bible, but there are days where I can't wait to get into it. But it's growing, man. There, there are days when, when I don't feel like being a good husband. There are days when I don't feel like being a good dad, when I don't feel like being a good worker, but the kingdom of God is growing, and as the Spirit continues to sanctify us, it's growing within us as we get to look at the world around us and see that growth. It's a beautiful, awesome thing. And unfortunately, what we have done is we've truncated the gospel to simple salvific work, which is good for man alone, and we don't get to look at the world around us and say, there is beauty in everything. There is goodness in everything. 
For us to see sex and see distortion of that is pornography. To see uh, marijuana, alcohol, and, getting, and going to realms of getting high that aren't good things. For us to look at music, movies, to understand that there is wickedness and there's beauty in art, and to understand that these things are growing together and it's hard to see, but as Christians, we are called to recognize those things, to be intentional about what we do, and call the kingdom of God, along with Jesus Christ as he does this, back to this earth. It's funny, it's almost like As the light pierces in John 1, the light pierces the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. It sounds a lot like Genesis 1, Genesis 3, that the darkness pierced into God's perfect uh, garden of Eden. And here we are, here we stand. I want to close this with a quote. Um, There's a book we use for a search program. It's the Slay Leader Development Program that we have. um, And it's uh, called Kingdom Calling by Amy Sherman. And and she has a really great quote. I'll say it and then I will, uh, I'll close this out here and pray for us. It says, the story told of the Christian life in the too narrow gospel, and what I was just talking about, does not capture this awesome reality and privilege that we have, that saved sinners are part of God's plan to heal the world. The too narrow gospel tells us what we've been saved from, sin, hell, death, and that is a very good thing indeed. But the gospel of the kingdom tells us not only what we've been saved from, but also what we're saved for. We have a purpose. We have a sacred calling. We have a God-given vocation to partner with God in his work of restoring all things. That is the kingdom of God. This is the message, the main message in which Jesus proclaimed to us. May we as Christians grab a hold tightly, follow him, knowing that we are saved by grace and grace alone. The kingdom of God may grow in us and that we as children of light would bear fruit in the world around us.